Hello and welcome to Stony Creek Radio, the sermon podcast from Stony Creek Baptist Church in London, Ontario. We're so glad you've tuned in today. Our prayer as you listen is that you'll be encouraged and built up in your walk with Jesus as we study God's Word together. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's jump right in. Let's go to prayer together. Our Father, we thank you for these truths that we just sang together and the hope that we have of a day that's drawing near when the darkness will turn to light, morning will turn to joy, and we will celebrate in the presence of the Lamb who is worthy with every nation, tribe, and tongue around his throne, singing praises to he who alone is worthy of our praises. Father, we look forward to that day with anticipation. May our hope be fixed on that day, the hope of the resurrection. And may may we live today in light of that hope. Father, I thank you as we move forward into this new year. For your faithfulness, I also thank you, Father, for the partnership that we have with many churches around this city. And I want to pray for them today as they face a new year as we do, that you would use these churches as lighthouses, that you would use our brothers and sisters at North Park, at West Park, Summerside, at Chelsea Green, Compass, at redemption, gateway. Father, these brothers and sisters that we have together with them, that you would use the church of Jesus Christ here in this city to seek the shalom of this city. To lock arms together in our mission that Jesus has given to us to make disciples of all nations. And so, Father, I pray for the health of our church. I pray for the health of every Bible-believing evangelical church in our city. God, make them strong. Make us strong. May we seek to live our lives for your glory. And, Father, as we move forward into a new year here at Stony Creek, God, I pray that you would make us even more of a caring family together. That you would extend uh, your, your hands and feet through us into this city, into this world, into the neighborhoods, into the world. May we continue to send out disciples from among us into the nations. That your name would be proclaimed in places where they've never heard the gospel before. We pray for our 39 missionary families that we support right now. We pray that our relationship with them would only grow, that you would use them in the places that you have called them to, to make much of your son, Jesus Christ, that we would see this year in and through this church and in this city and around the world through our missionary partners, disciples being made, baptisms happening and missionaries sent out and churches planted for your glory, God. We long to see this happen. We we want to be used of you. We thank you for the privilege that you give to us to be used of you. God, what a privilege it is that you use our mouths to speak the good news of the gospel, that you use our hands and feet to bear witness to who Jesus is through our good works. 
God, what a privilege it is to be used of you in this world. And we ask, God, that you would continue to do so. And you would continue to do so in such a way that it's obvious that anything good that's happening is coming from you and not because of our creativity or not because of our skill. But that it's clear that it's all you, your power working in and through us in this world. So God, we long to make much of your son, Jesus Christ, in this world. Use us, we pray, in this next year ahead. Use us to shine a light in the darkness. Use us to spread salt where that flavor is needed. And use us for your glory, God, until the day that Jesus returns. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. I invite you uh, to open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29. Give me looking at a, a passage, but then within that passage is a verse that for many people is a New Year's resolution type verse. And they claim this verse when they go away to graduation or go away to school or claim this verse in their marriages and those kinds of things. So we're going to look at that verse in context and really see what it is that God is promising through that verse. This is a year, this is the time of year where many of you will make New Year's resolutions. If you got the family brief, how many of you read the family brief devotional? Be honest, I'm not going to be hurt by it. Yeah, a scattering of people. I actually see the stats on it, so I know if you read it or not. But no, I'm just kidding. I don't actually look at that, but I can see that. Um, I shared with you uh, New Year's when I was grade two. Uh, I was wrestling on my bed, on my brother's bed, with my brother. My brother's four years older and about 50 pounds heavier at that time than me. So, so I had no chance. And we were wrestling. We had friends over. He pushed me off the bed, or one of the friends pushed me off the bed. I hit my head on the, in like an outward corner like this in, the, in his bedroom. And so the metal corner bead that was set there is where my head made direct contact, sliced my head right open, blood was pouring out. And that New Year's Eve, I got rushed, driven to the hospital by my dad and another friend who had held uh, my uh, kind of a, a cloth or something on my head to keep the bleeding, and I got many stitches. And I shared with you that my New Year's resolution that year was to not fight my brother anymore. And that, that lasted about the time when my stitches came out, if even that long. I'm sure he would have beat me up even before that point. But we, would have, we, we, we used to fight all the time. And that happens a lot of, with a lot of us when it comes to resolutions. We make these resolutions, and yet you know, time comes, and we just kind of stop doing them altogether. And that's okay. That's natural. That's a part of what it is to make New Year's resolutions. That come February, you don't have any of those resolutions anymore, and you can enjoy your life again. But <laughs> with some resolutions that we make, I want to I want to share with you a couple of resolutions, at least one particular resolution that I long for us as a church to make, and I long for us to maintain and keep throughout the year. And that and that's this: that we would grow in our desire and in actually doing this, that we would seek the shalom of our city here, that we would seek the shalom of those that we live with every single day in our neighborhoods, in our cities. There are some of you who are, we have regulars who join us from uh, Nigeria, that you would seek the shalom where you are of your neighbors there. 
We're going to talk today about what that looks like and what that means. We're going to look at Jeremiah 29, then look at a New Testament example of this lived out where, where Peter in 1 Peter picks up on this idea we're going to talk about and really fleshes out what that can look like. So I want to end with looking at some very practical ways that Peter shares with us in 1 Peter on how we can live really as exiles or sojourners in this world, that this world is not our home, Right? This world is not our home. We are citizens of heaven, the scriptures say. Our citizenship is somewhere else. And yet, as we find ourselves here, as exiles, as sojourners, as visitors, passing through, how is it that God wants us to live? And that's what we're going to see in both Jeremiah 29 and 1 Peter as well. So Jeremiah 29, I'm going to start reading in verse 4. And now, we have to understand, when we come to Jeremiah 29. This is when God's people had been taken captive by Babylon. So Babylon, this wicked, wicked nation, this nation that Augustine called the city of hell, Babylon, the city of hell. They were a brutal nation, brutal city. They took the people of God captive. They brought them back to their city. And in the midst of that, find themselves really in exile, find themselves living in some ways as prisoners to Babylon. And so how are they supposed to live? In chapter 27 of Jeremiah, there was a prophet, Hananiah. Hananiah was telling them, listen, leave your bags packed. You're going into Babylon, leave them packed. God is going to deliver you out of the hands of Babylon soon. And that's what they wanted to hear, right? When you are being oppressed by an oppressor, what you want to hear is you're going to be delivered from that soon. When you're going through a hard time, that's what we want to hear, is it not? God, God, what, what do you have to say to me in the midst of everything I'm going through? And imagine he said to you, you're going to be done with it in two weeks. That's going to kind of change the perspective a little bit. The problem was Hananiah was a false prophet. He's saying to them, keep your bags packed because God's going to deliver you soon out of the hands of Babylon. And then you had Babylon who was inviting the people of God, the Israelites, into their city. And Babylon was a little bit different with how they treated their prisoners. Many nations, when they took prisoners, they treated them as slaves. Babylon would bring them in and say, hey, go to our schools. Have some land. Learn the things that our kids are learning. Send your kids to our schools. And it was wise to do this. Why would they do this? Because soon, if not that generation that came there uh, got assimilated into Babylon, their kids would. And soon, these kids who at one time would have had a distinct identity as the people of God would then have this identity tied together with Babylon. They'd be no different than a Babylonian kid. And then soon that nation essentially is gone as they assimilate into another culture. So Babylon was wise. So he had false prophets as they go in, in Israel, saying, hey, don't unpack your bags. God's going to deliver you. And you had Babylon saying, come, live with us. Take on our identity. Become one of us. We'll give you what you want. We'll give you land. We'll give you school education for your kids. Come, become like us. But then God comes to the scene through Jeremiah and says something altogether different. And it's altogether different 
than what they were expecting, but also that we see in any other kind of literature up until this point. What God says to the people of God is so shocking here. We don't see it mentioned. We don't see any other gods who have ever said this to any people before. It just kind of takes you back and makes you think, wow, this is incredible. So here it is, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That line you can underline or circle if you do that in your Bible, whom I sent. You know, the people of God feeling like they're in, at the hands of Babylon. And, you, and Babylon thinks that they have the power. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's the one in control. And yet what we see here, it got the sovereignty of God on display, it was God using Babylon, using Nebuchadnezzar for this time. I have sent into exile to Babylon. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. This is what God says to his people as they're living in the city of hell. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. In other words, continue to do what I've always called you to do. Be fruitful and multiply. But he's saying this in the middle of what is a city of hell. In the middle of a very dark city. In, in the middle of a city that has treated them terribly. In the middle of a, a nation that has conquered them and that would have killed many of their family members, it would have raped and pillaged the city of Jerusalem who ransacked their temple. And God says, live among them. Build houses there. And we're going to see why he says to do this. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But instead, this is incredible. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The city that treated them horribly, God says to his people, I want you to live among them. I want you to build homes. I want you to plant gardens. He's not telling them to take on their spiritual identity. He's telling them to do all of these things while maintaining their spiritual identity in the midst of a very dark place. And he says to them, seek their welfare. That word welfare is the word shalom. Some translations will say, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Carries with it that idea, but shalom is even more than that. When we think of peace, we think of absence of conflict. But peace, when we're looking at it in terms of what we're seeing here, the shalom is, is not talking about an absence of, absence of conflict. It's talking about a kind of wholeness in all of our relationships, a total flourishing in every dimension. And so when the people of God hear this, they, they, they hear, seek the welfare, seek the total flourishing of the city. And in the midst of that city, you can see why he's doing that, right? We see the heart of God throughout the scriptures to draw the nations to himself. God is going to use, while his people are in Babylon, his people to plant seeds. What's interesting here is they say, uh, he, the words take wives and have sons and daughters doesn't say take Jewish wives and, and that's all. Now, we know from Ezra and Nehemiah that one of the sins of the people of God was they were intermarrying with those who did not share their common beliefs. 
And that was one of their sins and they were punished for it. So we know this is not what God is telling us, but this is a beautiful picture here. As God's people do this, as they seek the welfare of the city, what's going to happen with the Babylonians watching them? In the midst of a people that has been conquered, that are being oppressed, and they're seeing these people seek to bless them, seek to love them. What's going to happen with some of those Babylonians? They're going to begin to ask questions. And some of those Babylonians are maybe even might turn to the Lord, might turn to Yahweh. And so maybe some of those Israelites can then marry Babylonian believers, Babylonians who turn to the Lord. And so this picture of, this beautiful picture of God and his kingdom growing in the midst of a very dark place, telling them, seek the welfare of the city, build homes, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare and pray for them. Love and pray for your enemies, Jesus says. How hard would it be to look at a group of people that has caused so much harm to your family, who's ransacked the temple that you worshiped in, to then pray for their good, to then seek to bless them. That kind of thing doesn't happen naturally. It's something that only a heart that's been changed by God can do. And as he does that, it provides this incredible witness in the midst of a very dark place of what God can do in someone's heart and life. The words go on in verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, and that, and that term, when you see Lord of hosts, this is God of angel armies. The God who commands all of heaven's armies is the one who's saying this. So again, these kind of reminders of who's the one who is sovereign over all of this. Who's the one who's in control over all of this? It's the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, the God of Israel. Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So don't listen to those people who are just telling you what you want to hear. Something we see repeated in the New Testament. Don't listen to preachers who just are satisfying that itch that you have. The ones who are telling you, hey, turn to Jesus and you're going to get rich. So $100 into my ministry and God's going to respond giving you hundredfold back. Those are itching ears that you want to hear. Don't listen to them, but listen to the truth. Listen to the word of God. Listen to what God says. Verse 10, and this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I shall visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for 70 years. I don't know why I want to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you are 70 years old or older? <laughs> you wanted to put up your hand because you're proud of that. And that's good. 70 years is a long time. You're going to be there for 70 years. And so in the midst of that 70 years, I want you to live this way. I want you to continue to seek the welfare of the city. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you. That's the context of this verse. This verse that speaks into this promise that God is going to make, that's speaking into a group of people that find themselves in the place they never wanted to be. 
The context of this passage is, is to an oppressed people who God says for 70 years you are going to have to put up with the Babylonians. And I want you in those 70 years to bless them. But you are going to be mistreated. You are going to be hurt. You are going to have another nation rule over you for these 70 years. And it's in that context that these words come to the people of God. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare. It's the word shalom again. Plans for shalom and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to this place from which I sent you into exile. This is God telling them, yes, for 70 years you're going to be captives in Babylon. You're going to be subject to another nation, but I have not forgotten about you and I never will forget about you. That's the context of this passage. I know the plans I have for you. I know at the end of the seven years I'm coming back and I'm going to restore to you what you had lost. And yet there's many promises that Jeremiah is going to flesh out the next several chapters where he's going to tell us, he's going to turn our mourning into dancing. He's going to give us a new heart where the law is going to be written on our hearts. And so there's a number of promises that Jeremiah is going to give to us in the next several chapters, which don't get fulfilled at the end of those 70 years, but point even beyond that to the moment when, about 600 years after this, a baby is born in Bethlehem. And he is the hopes of the people of God. And with his coming, he'll turn mourning into dancing. With his coming, he will take us out of exile and bring us home. This man, on the night that he was betrayed, this one who has come, he's going to hold up a cup and say, This is the cup of the new covenant the new covenant that Jeremiah spoke about. And he's going to die on the cross for our sins, making it possible for us to have our heart of stone turned into a heart of flesh. And so you see the promises of Jeremiah when he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your shalom. Ultimately, we're being pointed forward to what Jesus Christ would do for us. And some of those promises that the prophets speak about, that Jeremiah speaks about, are going to be fulfilled when Jesus returns again. Once and for all, we're going to dwell with him for all eternity. So I share that with you. That's great. If you want to make that a life verse for the year, or a, ver a year verse, I guess it's not life verse if it's for the year. You want to take Jeremiah 29, 11 and say, I want this to be claimed as my own. Whatever language you want to use, just understand that it's, spoken into the midst of place where God's people felt like they were in a place they never wanted to be, which is very likely where you're at now. But remember this. This is the context. The context is not, so whatever you do this next year, God's going to prosper you. That when you go to school this year, you're going to get all straight A's. And this is how we sometimes use verses like this. Or here's this verse for your marriage. I'm going to speak it over you because your marriage, everything is God's just going to prosper your marriage. You're never going to fight. 
This verse is God saying to his people, yes, you're going through despair. Yes, you're going through hard times, but I have not forgotten about you and I never will. So take that verse, just make sure you apply it in that way because it's far more powerful that way. To understand this is this reminder that God has not forgotten his people. You think about everything that we're going through in this world, it feels like maybe God's lost control. Well, the Lord of hosts speaks, and this is what he's doing. He's in our midst. He's working all things together for good. One of the beautiful things about the Christmas Eve service that we had, if you were able to join us for that, were the videos from you, our church family, sharing times that God had been with you over the past year, over the past years of your life. And you saw in the midst of darkness and in the midst of pain, God's presence very real to his people. And I love that. And that's really what Jeremiah 29, 11 is talking about, that God has not forgotten you, that he will be with you in the midst of all of the pain, all of the despair, everything that you're going through. He's going to be right there with you. And he's got plans for your shalom, that there is a day coming when we will know eternal peace with him in his presence for all eternity, together with the saints all over every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. So beautiful verse, but it doesn't mean stick it on your wall and everything's going to go well for you. It means God's not forgotten about you. And in the midst of this, when you find yourselves living as a sojourner, as you find yourself living as an exile, seek the welfare, seek the shalom of the city. Bless them. Bless the city that you live in. Bless your neighbors. Pray up, pray for them, and think of ways that you can kind of show them Radical love. Surprise them with love. There's a great little short book I read by a guy by the name of Michael Frost called Surprise the World. And he talks all about this element of surprise and how loving it can be to a community that's going through such difficult times to now you surprise them with some act of love. And the power that's involved in that and the witness that's involved in that can do incredible things. So let's be a church family that surprises this city with the love that we show towards them. That surprises this city, that surprises our neighbors as we seek to follow Jesus and put their interests ahead of our own and love them and care for them in the name of Jesus. Now, 1 Peter, we don't need to turn there, but 1 Peter is a book where Peter seems to pick up on this idea and he talks about us being sojourners and exiles in this day. So as we await for the day of Jesus to return, in the meantime, we live as exiles today, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. We live waiting for that other day. But God has placed us here. And so if you are living and breathing today, what that means is that God still has work for you to do. We can get into this kind of mindset of this world is going to hell in a handbasket, so I am going to isolate myself in my home. I'm going to wait for that day of Jesus to return. I'm going to sing all the songs. I'm going to do all of this. I'm not going to engage the world. I'm just going to wait for that day. This world is hopeless. Well, think about this. God knows that this world is fading away. And look at how he showers this world with blessing every single day. His common blessing, his general blessing across the whole world, that he lets the sun rise every morning. God knows this world is wasting away, and yet he continues to shower it with blessing. So why should we not do the same? 
And in 1 Peter, Peter fleshes out, and the, the book really, I think, there, there, there's four times where he says that we have been called. But then he says, this is why we've been called. So I want to just go over those things, because this is in the midst of exile, in the midst of us finding ourselves today as strangers, as aliens, as people waiting for that day of Jesus' return. What are we called to do? And the first one is that he mentions is we are called to holiness. We are called, just as God has called us, just as God is holy, we are to be holy. We, and really, that, that starts with a heart that's been transformed by the gospel. And everything else that he is going to say, everything else out of our lives needs to come from our heart. When our heart has been transformed by the gospel, this heart of flesh, uh, stone, turned into a heart of flesh, out of that wants to be love for others. When the love of Christ has so changed us from the inside out, that heart's going to beat for others. And you think in terms of what God's people in Babylon, how they were living, God was saying to them, maintain your spiritual identity in the midst of a place that's trying to suck you into them. That holiness speaks of us being set apart, of maintaining in this world with its values, in this world with, with, with its pleasures that says, this is how you're going to be fulfilled. That we maintain a very distinct identity from that. That our joy is rooted in Christ. And that we live in such a way that it is obvious to others. That we have joy. That we have peace. And it's not rooted in anything of this world. It's rooted in our relationship with Christ. So when the scriptures call us to holiness, it's, it's not some reaction like, oh yeah, I got to clean my life up. It's this reaction of, of Christ coming into your life. And out of that, this desire to want to grow, to be like Jesus, to be more like him. So the first one in 1 Peter kind of centers around that we are called to holiness. The second, the second time he mentions this word calling, he says we are called to, go to the next slide. I can't, what is that? I can't even read what that says. Called to proclaim. We are called to proclaim the one who called us out of the darkness and into the light. So how do we live as an exile? How do we live as a sojourner? We proclaim the one who called us out of the darkness into the light. Proclaim the one who changed our life. We proclaim the good news of the gospel. This good news of the gospel that's not just for us to internalize and enjoy ourselves, but it's also meant to be shared with others. This good news of the gospel, it's not just good news for you. It's good news for our city. It's good news for our world, and they need to hear this good news. And so we are called, as Peter is telling us, we're, we're called to proclaim the excellencies of everything that he has called us to, of, of the glory of Jesus, the one who called us out of the darkness and into the light. The third time he mentions this word calling in, in 1 Peter, he, he speaks of it in terms of following Jesus. But it's in, not in the terms of just following Jesus in anything, it's speaking specifically about suffering. That in the midst of this world that we find ourselves in, that, that, that we are going to suffer. There's going to be times where there's pain. Going to be times where we face despair. There's going to be times where, in the context of 1 Peter here, we're persecuted. Persecuted for our faith in Jesus, made fun of. Knocked down because we have chosen to follow Jesus. And when we are 
persecuted because of that. We're following the example of Jesus. The suffering that he went through, we should expect that there's going to be times when we are going to suffer as well. And so we follow him. We, we do what he did. We don't respond with anger. We don't respond with evil, but we seek to do good. We seek to lay down our lives for the good of others. And this serves as a powerful testimony to the world. And the fourth time he mentions this word calling, speaks about it in terms of blessing, that we are called to bless. We're not called to repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. This is Jesus tells us time and time again. We're called to be a blessing to this community. If our church overnight burned to the ground and we are no longer able to meet here, or something happened to every one of us and every single person in the church died tomorrow, would our neighborhoods, would our city be any different? Would they miss us? We're called to be a blessing to the community. Think of your neighbors, those that you live beside, and maybe some of you live in the country and your neighbors are a few miles away, kilometers away. What are some ways this year that you can seek to be a blessing to your neighbors? Seek to bless them in the name of Jesus. Seek to surprise them with the good news of Jesus. And I pray for us this year that as we move forward as exiles, as we live for this day when Jesus is going to return and we live as exiles seeking to be holy, seeking to bless, seeking to follow Jesus and seeking to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that we will do it all in such a way that they, this is what Peter talks about, will glorify the Father who's in heaven on the day of visitation. So let's live our lives in such a way that we point others to Jesus. That when we bless the world and people want to pat you on the back, that we deflect it to where the glory is due. Let's live our lives all for the glory of God. And maybe, maybe for some of you as you're wrestling through what's, what's kind of gone on in this past year, maybe as you think through some of these things, I know for myself, I, I, start, I begin to see all of those areas where I've been so selfish. Or I've been seeking to live for myself. I haven't been seeking to bless the world. I've been seeking to take from the world. I've been seeking to bless others. I've been seeking my own benefits. So I want to encourage you along together with me this year that we together would get on our faces before God and say, God, I want to be an instrument of your grace and your peace in this world. I want to surrender everything I have, everything that you have entrusted to me. God, I want to surrender it all to you for your glory this year. So may we together as a church family, let's do that. We're going to sing a song to close. It's a song that you know well. And I want to encourage you as we sing it together, as we've, in light of what we've just studied this morning, that as you sing that, that you make this a prayer to the Lord. That as you sing this, you sing this to the Lord and say, this is my prayer this year, that I would surrender it all to you. That I would seek to live my life completely for your glory. Making a difference 
for that which will matter for all eternity. If you're living and breathing today, God has work for you to do. Father, we thank you for the messages in the scriptures here in Jeremiah 29 and 1 Peter. Pray for us as a church that you would use us to be a blessing to this community. That you would use us to proclaim the riches of the good news of the gospel, the, the riches of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And God, that you would give us the wisdom to know how we can best live like Jesus in this world and that we would seek to be a blessing to it. And God, before you now, we want to surrender everything before you. We want you to take our lives and use it for your glory. We want to surrender all that you entrusted to us to be used for your sake, to make much of you in this world. I pray that this year as we move forward into 2022, that this would be our prayer to make much of Jesus, to, that your spirit would work in and through us as we surrender it all to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been encouraged by our time today in God's word, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media and let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at SCBC London. Until next time, I'm your host, Ryan, and this has been Stony Creek Radio. God bless. Thank you.